Well, good morning, everyone. So, okay, I'm going to stop already. Who actually desires to say, when someone says good morning, everyone from the front, does anyone like feel obligated? Like, okay, is he expecting a response? Do I have to say good morning? Because you're like, okay, I don't really want to say good morning, but maybe I feel like I have to say good morning. Anyway, how not to start a sermon by Bernd Eismo. I was just always wondering, like, who else? Just like, I don't want to say good morning, but go ahead. So thank you for those who say good morning. How about that? So anyway, my name is Bernd Eismo, and I have the privilege of preaching God's word to you today. Um, my family and I have been attending River City since uh, 2014. We moved from the cities where Aaron, uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron and I met, and um, we were part of the Acts 29 denomination uh, in the cities, and we fell in love with the culture there, and we came down to the cities, or excuse me, down to Fargo-Moorhead during that summer, and it was, so way back then, it was also guest preachers, like we're going through now of preaching the Psalms, and when I heard, it was Josh Selvison, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but he preached Jesus in the Psalms. I'm like, yes, I love it. There's no moralism. It's no try hard. It is Jesus. And I'm like, Aaron, we found our place. This is it. So I love that we are still continuing that. We get to, to dive into the Psalm and preach Christ crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. So... Um, with that said, now the following event, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a humorous take, but it does track with me on this one. So it, it, um, it, may, it may not appear to be anything relevant for how we live our life, but I believe it can be a great analogy. So a little bit of context of this article is, is written based upon a viral clip of one of the all-time great basketball players, Tim Duncan. So... It was uh, game three of the Western Conference. And now, if you're not a sports fan, you're fine. It's not a sports analogy. But it was game three of the Western Conference Finals, overtime game, Tim Duncan playing his heart out. He sits down, and he, he, he takes a towel and starts wiping, wiping his towel, and all of a sudden, he just stops. And it's just like, what is going on? It looks like he just discovered he has arms. It's just... It was just insane. He's like looking around, like, what are these things? And that viral clip just was more popular than the game itself. It was an overtime playoff game. And it went just SB Nation is where I got, like, uh, Sports Illustrated, you know, uh, the score, everything was just covering him because this viral clip of, like, Tim Duncan discovers he has arms. And so the following article is written in satire, but again, the incident really did happen. And the author of the article, I'll give him credit, Roger Sherman of SB Nation, and he took advantage of the humorous incident. And so the article is titled, Tim Duncan Discovers He Has Arms. Quote, in overtime of game three of the 2013 Western Conference Finals, Duncan discovered that his body had two upper appendages in addition to his two legs. The way he examines them in the video is a testament to his greatness. Some players would have discovered their arms and said, Okay, great, I have arms. Duncan instinctively inspects every inch and aspect of his newfound limbs. News of Duncan's discovery quickly changed the NBA. With all players now fully aware of their arms, their ability to play basketball was greatly enhanced. While Duncan's titles and trophies tell of some of the story of his greatness, it is his innovations like the one, like this one, that truly makes him an all-timer. So, I don't know if there's, yeah, so it's just, I mean, you can Google it. It's Tim Duncan discovers he has arms. And just hit repeat on the GIF. It's so funny. All right. Now, obviously, he knew he had arms. 
But the viral clip certainly contained, or it certainly appeared as though he just discovered them. So now, with that, you may be asking, okay, what does this have anything to do with a life lesson? Well, I hope you're wondering that if you're following along. But, so, I will answer your question with one of my own. How often do you stop and look at something you see and experience on a daily basis, examine it, and basically rediscover it by appreciating it exponentially more, and live as a direct result? So basically, how often do you discover you have arms? How often are you going by daily life and you just stop and rediscover what it is as simple and funny as you having arms? So in their psalm today, David is going to do just that. He is going to note two aspects of God that are anything but new. There's nothing like some big grandiose revelation. They have always been there. But David is going to note and reflect and live as a result. And it treats them as brand new. So before we get dive in our text, please, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day. I uh, thank you that we can gather here um, and just be centered on your word. Uh, Father, I, pr- I pray that you keep my tongue from error. I pray that um, the hearts are, are able to hear, that, they're a- that the hearers are able to take even just one thing, from today's sermon, from your text, and apply it to their life, even if it's something they can look on it afresh and give you glory and give you praise as a result. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we will be uh, reading from Psalm 19. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, or my kids already always have their phones, or um, Scripture will also be on screen. So Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right. So, um, I don't know. I'm, again, social media, I love. So if anyone's on, like, Reddit, have subreddits, a lot of times if there's articles at the top of it, it says TLDR, meaning 
uh, too long didn't read, and so they just give a synopsis of, hey, if you don't want to read this article, this is what it says. I like those. Um, so my TLDR is, if you're, is we are to praise God as his handiwork reveals his glory. So we are to praise God as his handiwork reveals his glory. And so if you, for those of you who want a little bit more of a roadmap of where we're going, so I don't take, take any too unexpected left turns, um, I have the psalm broken up into three parts. Uh, the first is, the heavens declare the glory of God. The second, the law declares the glory of God. And the third is, we declare the glory of God. All right, so part one. So we'll start in verse 19. And again, kind of the, the framework will all be breaking down chunks. We'll dive into it a little bit and then keep moving on. So the first couple verses, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So the author of the psalm, David, uh, starts out by stating that God doesn't even need to quote-unquote speak to declare his glory. He rediscovers, David rediscovers and praises God merely because he was looking up to the sky. Now, the heavens aren't anything new to David. These aren't what? What is that? Like, I looked over here, and I did, I did not know that Village Inn was destroyed. <laughs> that was new to me. If you looked over here, there's just like, what? Where did that go? Okay, the sky is nothing new. It's like every day, it's, it's there. But David is just reflecting and, like, and, and just basking it. So, to correlate with my uh, Tim Duncan quote, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it the Tim Duncan principle, or the Duncan principle is what I'm going to refer to this as, of just rediscovering, reappreciating, and worshiping and living as a result. So, Tim Duncan, or Duncan principle. The heavens aren't new. To, this is probably a real name for it, but I'm just going with that one. Uh, the heavens aren't anything new to us either. We see them every single day. There's, I mean, but this is obviously something that most of us take for granted. We know it's there, but we don't appreciate it. We don't stop to give God the glory or praise him for it. So if you just stop and look at the sky, just block out everything and just merely focus on the sky. I don't remember the last time I did that. It's beauty. It's awesomeness. The science, functionality, it's ever-changing. The colors, creation, and they all declare God's glory. Now, our perception of the sky is limited based upon what we can comprehend and understand. So a toddler is not going to appreciate looking up into the sky as someone who has a PhD in astronomy. So the toddler won't be able to understand the complexities uh, that the astronomist does. And yet, the astronomist is still infantile in their understanding of the sky. Yet both the toddler and the scientist experience the same beauty that the heavens have to offer. The same glory is given to both. So I love that it says God's handiwork uh, paints a glimpse of his glory, his handiwork. And that glimpse, again, is just limited by our comprehension. But our comprehension does not limit God's glory. Again, let me say that again. Our comprehension does not limit God's glory. As the rest of the psalm progresses, we're going to see more and more and more and more of God's handiwork, and it declares his glory. Our worship him depends upon our appreciation and comprehension of his handiwork. We need to put the Duncan principle into practice. So in other words, we need to stop what we're doing. 
reflect upon an attribute of God. So again, if you're overwhelmed, what is God? Just pick an attribute of God. Just focus on that one thing. Look at it for what it is. Rediscover it. And as a result, live because of God's glory. All right, so here, uh, diving into this, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause and like, what does the glory of the Lord? Like, okay, that's something I can just easily read over. Okay, I think I know what it means, but what does that actually mean? I mean, we, we use glory probably every single Sunday. That's, that's not, nothing uncommon. So I will, uh, I'll quote two theologians as I was kind of digging up on this. Um, the, the first one is, where? Oh, yeah. Um, Herman Bavnik, a Dutch Reformed, Reformed theologian. It says, The glory of the Lord is the splendor and brilliance that is inseparably associated with all of God's attributes and his self-revelation in nature and grace, the glorious form in which he, in which he anywhere appears to his creation. Like, whoa, that's, <laughs> that's huge. That's, he understands it, but I then, Tim Keller was then quoting him, and I liked what Tim Keller did. He just, glory for dummies. I love that. He, what he says is, therefore, the glory of God is the infinite beauty of everything the Bible says about God. The glory of God is the infinite beauty of everything the Bible says about God. So with the glory of the Lord defined, let's continue to verse 3. There is no speech. There are no words, uh, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So as we continue in this passage, we read that everyone, whether Christian or non-Christian, everyone, the entire globe, sees the glory of the Lord. And it's not hidden by him. It's not hidden by God but it can be rejected by others. God's handiwork is often not attributed to God. And yet everyone, quote-unquote, hears God's voice in, cre- in his creation. They witness it. They experience it. So what does, to, what does this mean that to, to, feel, um, to unpack? And, uh, <laughs> what does verse 3 mean? Uh, Apostle Paul even cites this. In Romans uh, 10. And so in in the context in chapter 10 of Romans, Paul is writing about his desire and prayer that the recipients of his letters, the recipients of what we now know as the book of Romans, are saved from their sins. He goes on to write that one is saved, quote, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. He continues in verse 14, and this is where we'll read verses 14 to 18. How then will they call upon him who have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear about someone preaching, or without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says... The Lord has believed what he has, um, the Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for, and this is where he quotes Psalm 19, their voice has gone on the, out of the, their voice has gone out in all the earth, and the words into the end of the world. So ultimately, Paul uses Psalm 19 to say 
that they have heard the glory of the Lord through creation, but they need someone to give them understanding. Uh, They need Christians, those who are Christ followers, to explain the good news of the gospel. That is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Everyone has heard the glory of, the God, of glory of God. But Christians are to constantly be on mission, whether that's in Turkey or it's across the street or in your own home. That the, our constant mission is to declare the revelation of Jesus. Without that specific revelation, people will experience God's glory and yet still die in their sins. Okay. So hopefully this helps to understand the glory of God and how epic it is when the gospel of God reveals the depravity of our hearts. And Genesis 6-5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. Our hearts continually seek evil. And yet God gives us all the common grace and through and of, of his general re- revelation and his, what is infinitely better, special revelation of his saving grace through his son. Our appreciation and love of God speaks to our understanding. Verse 4. Their voice grows out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and it's circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So verse four says there, which caused me to pause. And so that's the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, creation of the heavens. The heavens is encompassing the sun. The sun, which of course is obviously crucial for life on earth. Uh, The sun was, especially in that day, worshipped. And so I love that David is, is making a side point to that, is not only is God's creation, it contains the sun, it is over the sun, it is a tent for the sun, but God itself created creation. He created the sun. And so the people who are worshiping the sun are worshiping the creation, not the creator. So before we move on to part two, um, a couple, a few questions. What does your handiwork say about you? Are you looking to work for your glory or for God's? And when was the last time you stopped to reflect upon the beauty and functionality of God's creation and worship him as a result? And does his common grace drive you to him or is it just expected? Part two, the law declares the glory of God. So you will see that now the phrase, quote-unquote, of the Lord is repeated six times. Now, this is obviously very intentional. Just as we defined the glory of the Lord earlier, we need to see the significance of the name of the Lord. So the Lord uh, means Yahweh, or I am, and it is the personal name of God. The name by which given to Moses at the burning bush when he asked, whom shall I say sent me? He said, I am. So that's what's translated here, the Lord Yahweh, his personal name. So in a generic sense, we can still use the word Lord here today in a, in a secular connotation, is just someone who has power, someone who has authority, influence, you know, a master or ruler. 
But when you attribute that to God, to Yahweh, to his personal name, that Lord, the all caps Lord, we know that he has the ultimate power, the ultimate authority, the ultimate influence, and is the ultimate master and ultimate ruler. There is no name above his name. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he has given us sinners his personal name to call him by. That's no small honor and privilege. Just on a side note of just what the personal name when I was uh, dating Aaron, my, my wife, it was, I was so intimidated by her dad. Like the first time I met, okay, I had, oh, now I have long hair, but it was the, I looked like, if you know, sync, Lance Bass, the short, short spiky hair, tips and a couple earrings, um, uh, was working out all the time. And the first, there's a long story, but the short end of it was, is that, um, and Aaron asked, oh, if, if the first, oh, what'd you think of him, dad? What'd you think of Barrett? His only response was, he needs to find a comb and lose the earrings. I'm like, oh man, okay, I've got, I've got some work to do. Um, so, but as a result, I'm like, okay, I don't know. He kind of set the tone of like, no, I'm not blaming you, Kevin, if you're listening to this, but uh, um, it was just like, okay, so going then, I'm like, man, how do I even address him? Do I address him as sir? Do I address him as Mr. Johnson? Do I, do I, I I'm not going to call him dad. Do I address him as Kevin? I don't know. That's, so I would make sure that he was like looking at me. Hey, how's it going? You know what I mean? Just like, I, what do you think of the weather today? I like make sure we caught eyes before I address him. I'm like, I don't even know what to call you. And this is my father-in-law. So how much greater that God tells us to use his personal name. All right. <laughs> um, so when you hear quote-unquote, of the Lord these six times, please reflect upon the, the power that the Lord has, and he wants you to know him personally. So I, I created a follow, the, uh, chart because it is, the parallelism, the, it, it, just, it just screams chart. So, sorry. But it just, it, it is so neat, the one-to-one correlation. So the first one is, on the, the one side is what the Lord gives. Uh, the second column is what the gift of the Lord is, and the third is what the Lord's followers receive. So it's like verse 7a, the first part of 7 is the law, the law he gives the law. And his law, is, what is that? It's perfection. And what does he give us? As a result, it revives our soul. Second one is like the Lord gives his testimony, the testimony of the Lord. What is it? It is sure and what does it do for me? So again, it's a gift for us. It makes the wise simple. So it brings down the haughty. What the Lord gives, he gives his precepts, the precepts of the Lord. What it is, it is right. And what does it do for me? It causes my heart to rejoice. The commandments of the Lord, he gives those. They are pure. And as a result, it enlightens our eyes. Second to last, the fear of the Lord. He gives us the fear of the Lord. It is clean. And that endures for, forever. I want to say it like a sandlot. Forever. Uh, and the last one, rules. He gives his rules. And they are true and righteous. And again, it's a gift. What is it? They are sweet to be desired and a valuable reward. 
And so if it helps to, as you look in these next few verses, I, I, it, I just love it, the way it just flows like that. So verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So this is the second instance that we're going to be using the Duncan principle. Uh, we're going to put that into practice. So David is going to be reflecting upon the law of the Lord, his commands, his statutes, his rules. These are nothing new. This is like you're rediscovering something that was old, generations old, and yet he is rediscovering them. He's like, I have arms? You know what I mean? These are, this is brand new, and he's reflecting as a result he's praising God. He's seemingly discovering them again for the first time. So our first point of observation is that we have transitioned from replying, uh, relying upon the heavens speaking to God himself speaking and declaring his love. And he's declaring his law, excuse me. So what is meant by the law? So again, this was back in the day. Like, again, I grew up in the church. I should have known the law. I, I just did not know what it meant. And so when I moved to the cities and started attending, um, uh, became a Christian much later in the life, and, uh, much later in life, I started attending, I'm like, okay, my brother was a Christian. They were all going to Bethlehem Baptist, which was John Piper was preaching at the time. And John Piper kept referring to the law. I'm like, man, the law, this guy really, what's up with the police? I'm so lost. What does this have anything to do with biblical text? I, I was just, the judicial system, what is going on? So obviously, hopefully you guys are not there, but I never want to take it for granted. So defining the law, the word law here is literally Torah. It is the most embracing term. It is not limited to specific legal commands as our use of the law is, uh, the root meaning of Torah is instruction. It has to do with everything God has revealed or says. Our best equivalent would be Scripture or the Word of God. And credit to James Montgomery Boyce for that. So in other words, law is, in, the, in this instance, God's revealed will. And so it's, it, it includes, but it's not exclusive to the Ten Commandments only. So when we're reflecting upon God's law, first remember who is giving the law. Because as, as a natural rebellion, well, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my dad. You know, that kind of thing. I go an infant. But this is God. He is the one giving us the law. So just remember, as we're reflecting on his beauty and grandeur in verses 1 to 6, the attributes of his creation, perfection, beauty, mercy, justice, grace, and glory. He is the one who is giving this. Not a sinner. Perfection is giving this. So, continuing with the praise of God, David declares God's law is perfect. So, if, if, you, if you stop right there, have you ever done or created everything or like you just look back and like, that is perfect. That could, that could not be done any better. That, so, you, would say, you could look at it and say that there's no possible way for improvement, not even with the passing of time or as technology advances or nothing you did or created could ever be approved upon. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I would say that is impossible for something to be absolutely perfect. And yet, God's law is. It transcends time. It is perfect. And, it, and the next thing he says is it revives the soul. Um, and the word choice, like, revives, that caught me because to, when I think of laws, I'm like, man, that doesn't revive me at all. I'm like, man, now I have to do something. Like, now you're commanding me to do something. I have to follow something. 
but on the other end, it revives the soul. So now every analogy breaks down, but this one, if you want to think of the, your soul as a plant, and it's just receiving much-needed care, and the law is that care. So it was, the law would be like the water, the sun, or a fertilizer, and it's refreshing the soul. It's revitalizing it, restoring it. It's going to, God's law is going to drive you towards him, your need for him, because without it, without God, you've, you will wither and die. David goes on to say, the Lord's testimony is sure. What God says about himself is 100% true. 100% true. His testimony about himself, there's not even like, well, it's technically true, but I'm going to like, you can look at a different angle and it's not. No, 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 no. It's 100% true. So especially in the day of relativism, you can bank on God's word where we are like always looking for absolute truth. Like, well, it's, it's, it may be true for you, but not that person over there. And, well, it used to be true, but not anymore. Uh, it is 100% true. It's not, subjective, it's not subjected to culture, to time. It surpasses that. It is beyond that. And those who say otherwise will eventually be made fools. So... Um, I also must need to pause because this is not something that we can take care of. We're like, well, I have the truth. I know what's right. It's because of me. I've done my research. I've gone to school. I've looked at it in. I've Googled it, and Google says it's true. You know what I mean? It's not Christians can't say. We have discovered it, and we know what's right. So therefore, listen to me because I know what's up. Nope. It's despite us. It's not anything I say. So it's like when we're telling our kids, well, why is this true? Ultimately, everything we tell our kids is like, if it has to be based upon scripture, otherwise it's maybe a, a bias of mom and dad or a preference of mom and dad. Yes, there's rules to follow, but ultimately it has to come from scripture. He is the authority, not me. God has revealed himself to us. We did not discover him. We cannot say we've figured everything out. This takes away any sort of boasting that we can have. And he said, well, where's your credibility? It has to be the word of God. It's not the word of Berndt. We only know what the Lord says because he revealed it. He made it clear. He declared it. He initiated the conversation. We didn't seek him out. He sought out his chosen. And there was nothing we did to earn, deserve, or figure it out. He did that. God did that all on his own. We can take zero credit for his revelation. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So precept, when combined with command, uh, we can take verse 8 as orders. Um, they're orders from the Lord. The Lord has made his orders, and for the most part, they're very clear. His commands are rightly understood. So uh, as an example of the work workplace, I... Again, if someone gives me orders, I get made that natural rebellion. I don't want to do what you, I mean, man, I have issues apparently. I don't want to do it just because you, 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 you tell me I have to do that. Who are you to tell me? And I'm like, well, I, I'm just going to do what I want and give you whatever is best, and that's what you're going to like. But as I start to, again, reflect upon that, as a graphic designer, I'm like, no, 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 that's, <laughs> dude, that's moronic. That's stupid. That's, that doesn't work at all. 
And so here's an actual account of something that happened to be about like 12 years ago. So as, uh, I still work as a freelance graphic designer and I had a client come up to me and he's like, hey, I, I, can you make, do you, do you do logos? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I've got, I've got a cleaning business and I want you to create a logo for me. Okay, sweet, this is exciting. So I eagerly agreed, I got down to sketching and even so far as, and I presented like, I think it was not even, made four examples of finished logos. I figured, okay, he's gonna like one of these. Uh, so I submitted them via email and uh, I'm like, I'm just waiting. I just know he's gonna like these. Well. I, Via email, he responded basically right away saying, no, I, I don't like any of these. I'm like, oh, all right, okay. Well, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. Now I'm just gonna let the full power of my design come out of my fingertips and, <laughs> and, and give, him, give him what he wants. So I was, um, man, I, so I gave him more variety, like a new, like, you know, so symmetry. I'm like, well, I, this one's gonna be based on, 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 on uh, here's a script. This one's gonna look like a badge. This one is going to be minimalism. This one's going to be so complex, you're not, going to, you're not going to like it. But I don't know, maybe that's what you are. So I gave him the whole gamut. There is nothing in here that you can't not like, or at least some attribute of one of them. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I can't wait. I'm giddy. I'm, only, I'm never giddy to open up email, but I'm just waiting, refreshing. I'm like, when are you going to respond? And I opened up my email. Oh, there it is. He liked Dude, are you kidding me? What is going on? There's something wrong with you. It's not me. It's, it's, oh, okay. So finally I did what I should have done is just called him up. Hey, man, okay, what, what are you after? What, is there something that maybe you've seen online or is there another company that, again, not we're going to steal anything or like just what, you know, so poking and prodding, asking questions, what, because I, I want a command now. I'm, I'm learning like, okay, I need direction to give you what you want. And his answer, <laughs> you want to go to the next slide? Nesquik. <laughs> like, what? Dude, Nestle Quick? He's like, man, every time I see that logo, I want chocolate milk. Uh, it's just something about that rabbit, about the colors, about the font, and you know what, I want chocolate milk right now. I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> all right. So I gave him what I wanted. I, um, I didn't get his approval. I don't know, maybe I could have shown the logo, but I basically, I didn't plagiarize it. I gave him the bubble font. It was blue. It had a white outline. There was a yellow background. I didn't draw a rabbit, but it was just like, and you look at his cleaning company and it looks like Nestle Quick, and in my opinion, but he got what he wanted. So... I was just like, the precepts of the Lord, his commandments are pure. I, we need <laughs> those commandments. So those clear commands that I set out to make a logo for his cleaning company, it just made everything infinite, infinitely better. The clarity of what we needed. Um, he was happy. I was happy. It was done. We got to not move on, but I mean, I'm glad he liked his logo. But it's just, can you imagine now the commands of the Lord are infinitely better than somebody who wants a their logo to look like Nestle Quick. And just those clear commands, we can live happy. I'm like, this is what you are expecting of me, Lord. This is what you want. This is how I'm out to live. And it's for my benefit. I get to be the recipient of this. All right. So verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, 
and the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So again, now the, the fear of the Lord is one that is uh, common in Scripture. And again, I didn't know what that meant when I was growing up in the church. I didn't know. I just thought of somebody just really terrified uh, because I viewed God as an evil dictator. You're supposed to be afraid of me. I mean, he is holy. He is glorious. He can strike me down. Um, I, you know, so for those of you who've seen Caddyshack, and at the very end, the, the preacher has had the best golf game ever has, and raises up his golf club and gets struck down by lightning. I was expecting, you know, don't base your theology on Caddyshack. But it was just like I was just expecting this if I just made a mistake. Fear, I'm supposed to, to fear the Lord. But now I'm going to use my wife as an example again, is that she ex- had a great fear and reverence for her parents. Now, when she was younger, it was the, the, they could not watch PG-13 movies before they turned 13. Okay, so that was just a clear understanding. So even hanging out with friends or just nothing. Now, she had a sleepover, and they put, I don't know which, which PG-13 movie it was, um, but she, what she ended up doing was going off in the kitchen and waiting until the two hours were done. And like, so she, despite of worrying about what her friends would say, or like, hey, I might be able to get away with it, like, which I did, I got grounded for watching Ghostbusters and Critters 2, and, because uh, I thought, Critters, again, terrible movie choices. Well, not Ghostbusters, but anyway. But it was just, I thought I could get away with it. The Lord, er, my parents aren't here, but I didn't have the fear of, and reverence that my wife did when she was younger. She's like, well, I mean, maybe she could have gotten away with it to this day, that they would have never known whatever PG-13 movie she watched. But she decided to obey her folks and go off in the kitchen. She's not saying, you can't watch that, I can't watch that, and just wait until the movie was done. I'm like, wow. So that is just the fear and reverence of how much respect that she has for her folks of just wanting to obey. Maybe not understanding the rules, but wanting to obey them. And then, and so again, my, my wife is by natural a rule follower. And so when they did disobey, when she did disobey, it was uh, just, I'm very disappointed in you, Aaron. And she would just, oh, that's the worst thing. I almost wish you'd give me a spanking at that. You know what I mean? It was just because of that respect. So it's just like, as we grieve, the, Holy, the, the scripture says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So it's just that, are we have that fear of the Lord, that reverence, that respect for him, that even if we think we can get away with it, it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, verse 10, more desired than they are of gold, uh, more to be desired than, they, than gold, uh, and even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Now, I love how David doubles down on the value of the Lord's rule. So again, in the context, this is the Lord's rules. A correct frame of mind of outlook concerning the Lord's rules are more desired than gold. And not even just gold, than fine gold. So they're, and sweeter than not just your, not just honey, like your generic honey, but the sweetest honey right from the honeycomb. So more desirable than financial gain or whatever touches your palate and you just, oh, this is so good. More, his rules are more desirable than that. 
So after reading that, I was like, just why don't I revere the Lord as I should? Why do I not look at his rules like that, more desirable than financial gain? And just when it touches your tongue, it's just, oh, this is so good. Why not? Why don't we always do that? Oh. So, so far, uh, this, it's, it's been pretty refreshing and lighthearted in text. I mean, it's been, um, it's been fun to stop and reflect upon God's glory, his heavens, and, um, and his law. But what happens, because they're law, because they're commands, what happens? We haven't even thought of the flip side of the coin there are commands, there's laws. What happens when we don't obey them? Because as of right now, it could have stopped at verse 10. And we're like, oh, that's, that's fun, and I love it, and it's refreshing, and I'm not, maybe not convicted at all, and fair be it. But the psalm doesn't stop at verse 10. There's more. So what happens if we're, we are dis- disobeying? What happens if we are not appreciating God as he is? So maybe we can look back at the first 10 verses with a little bit of a different viewpoint of just appreciating God, but knowing there is no, well, he wants me to try hard and my efforts are good enough. Oh, okay, I can, I'm going to read that into the text. That is not in there. His rules are suggestions, like stop signs. You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm just going to uh, just, that's, treat him like that. I'm joking. It's just like, well... You know, you, you can try your best. You can slow down, you know, but then no one's coming, so you're fine. We are commanded to follow them. So the third part is we declare the glory of God. So moreover by them, your servant is warned. In keeping to them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So again, the Lord's rules are, they're true. There is no falsehood. They're righteous. They're morally right, justifiable, virtuous. They're to be desired above any financial gain. And this is the first time that there's somebody other than God or the Lord is mentioned. We now get a third party involved, your servant. So what is your servant? In a biblical sense, 1 Peter 2.16 states, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Often I don't think of servitude, a servant as being free at all. That's like terrible bondage and being oppressed. But in the biblical sense, and serving God, that's the ultimate freedom. Is that you are no longer have to, you no longer have, are a slave to sin. You're no longer bondage to yourself. You are now free to serve the Lord. God has revealed himself to David, and David knows he is now free to worship the one true God. He's no longer a slave to sin. The heavens, have been, have, the heavens and the law have been revealed to him. Again, the Duncan principle, he's just rediscovering and basking and loving it. He's free to love what God is, who God is, what he has done. So, 
Again, the final Duncan principle as a direct result of David reflecting upon the law of the Lord. David rekindles his cry for mercy. He is reminded of his sin, cries out to God for mercy, and lives because of God's grace. Now, David has done this several times in the Psalms, but this is a direct reflection upon the law. It is though, again, reflecting upon God's perfection causes David to look at himself. He's like, I'm first basking in who God is. And then the realization of like, oh man, this is who I am. It's hitting him. Now, David has the right response to the psalm he just penned. He's convicted by the handiwork of God and the law of the Lord and begs for forgiveness and mercy from the very one who can forgive him. He's not, oh, I've sinned against this person. I've sinned against this person. I've kind of done this person wrong. I've thought bad about that person. He's going to the one and only who he has sinned against and hoping and praying and is confident that God will forgive him. Now, David didn't get to know the name of his Savior. We have the benefit of living on this side of the cross in the empty tomb. Just as God revealed his personal name to Moses, to Yahweh, the Lord, as David has used several times here, we have the name of God's Son, Jesus, the only one who can say he is responsible for creating the heavens and perfectly fulfilling the law of the Lord. Jesus, our Savior, Only Jesus kept the law perfectly. Go on down the list. Only Jesus' testimony is sure. Only Jesus rightly carried out the Lord's precepts. Only Jesus purely kept the commandments. Only Jesus had a perfect fear of the Lord. Only Jesus rightly abided by and fulfilled all of the law's rules. All the Lord's rules. Only Jesus. It wasn't, didn't say the servant did this and anything. It's not a insert your name here. It is Jesus. Bottom line, if if you can read the first 10 verses of Psalm 19 thinking you're worthy, you need to read it again. There is no one who is perfect, not one, and that is why we need Jesus. Not our best intentions, not our reasoning, not our degrees, uh, not this is what TikTok says. You know, just Jesus. Only with Jesus taking your sins to the cross, sacrifice himself because of them, because of your sin, And showing us who he is, he is who he said he is. (laughs) He rose from the dead. That proved it. There's an empty tomb. Only because of that are we blameless and innocent. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are servants of Christ because of Christ, not because of what we have done. And Finish it up here, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David closes the psalm beautifully. He asked the Lord that every word that comes from his mouth be pleasing to the Lord. And David declares or desires that what he truly desires, what his heart longs for, is acceptable to a perfect God. I don't know if my, every word that comes out of my mouth, every desire of my heart. I'm not hiding from it. We've seen the sun, very beginning of this text, it goes everywhere. You can't hide from it. 
I want my desires to be what God wants. He calls upon the personal name of God one last time. In all adoration and reverence, he calls to the God he loves, declares who God is. God is Lord, the one who has authority over all creation from whom David serves. His rock, David's cornerstone, the one whom is stable and unmovable, and finally his redeemer, the only one who can save David from his sin. So put, to put a bookend uh, on this sermon, so I used Tim Duncan, rediscovering arm, his arms as kind of a, just as, as a humorous take on life, but there is truth in that concept. Just as Tim Duncan sat on the bench in the overtime game and seemingly rediscovered his arms, things he uses on a daily basis, and needed for his career in the NBA, I implore you to rediscover God's grace. Focus on just one attribute and just rediscover. Don't get overwhelmed by who he is. Just focus on one thing. Rediscover, appreciate, give praise to God because of that. Cry out for mercy, know that you have received grace, and live because of it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Father, thank you for making every day new. Father, for for giving us breath, for sustaining us, for making us who we are, and ultimately for revealing your son, revealing you to us, despite us. Thank you for you. We are so undeserving, and yet your love is just something we cannot even possibly comprehend. Help us to live. Help us to, have our, to live as a result of that. Help us have the desires of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. In your name we pray. Amen.